0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT-certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine. I'm here with Sheila Donoghue of Verovino Import, Imports, and she um, imports Italian wines, and more obscure grape varieties which you may not have heard of and we're going to talk about four of those grape varieties and wines that she imports um today we're really getting deep into italian wine because of these four great varieties i've heard of one of them and the other three i had not heard of previously so it's quite exciting to try the wines and learn even more about the weird world of italian wine and the, all the grape varieties which spring up from history and um, producers uh, start working with again so before we get into the grape varieties Sheila, can you introduce yourself and why you decided to start importing Italian wine and more obscure grape varieties?
1: Matthew, thanks for having me on. Just a little bit about myself. I'm originally from New York, uh, spent about 30 years in banking and technology. Since 2001, I've been uh, living in Bologna, Italy. I was working there in banking and technology until the beginning of 2017, when I had a year sabbatical. And then after that, I started my company, uh, Faro Vino, which is focused on more obscure, <laughs> everything obscure, whether it's grapes or producers that people don't know about, places that people don't know about. And the reason why I started my company and this focus on, on the obscure is because after having you know lived in Italy for so long, which to your point, there are a lot of unknown grapes in Italy as well as mostly small producers that people don't know about. I just really, really loved the discovery. And so much so that I became a certified sommelier while I was in, in Italy. And then when I had the year sabbatical in 2017, I was putting the pieces of a puzzle together to determine what to do. And I decided I was gonna start my own company focused on these unknown, I call them wild and scarce wines. We even do olive oils as well.
0: How difficult was it to set up an import company into the U.S. about the logistics and the legalities?
1: So it's a good question. The barriers to entry are quite low. And in fact, you'll find that there's a lot of small importers in America, all around the US. And, you know, there, of course, there's compliance and paperwork and all that, but for the most part, it doesn't cost that much to start the business. You know, now that we're five years old (laughs) this year with COVID in the middle and a lot of challenges that most, you know, businesses never encountered before. The challenge in this business is to scale. You know, thankfully after five years, we're still, you know, we're still going strong.
0: And what about distribution? Do you import directly into California or is it to the East Coast?
1: My company is headquartered in Ventura, California, and that's where our main warehouse is serving all over the U.S. Every so often, we do warehouse our product on the East Coast as well. And regarding distribution, at the moment, we're self-distributing in California, and we have uh, distributors in a couple of states on the East Coast. And actually, we have a stand at the upcoming distributors conference, WSWA, in Orlando, Florida, in the beginning of April, to try to find new distributors in other states.
0: So, going back to Italy, so you lived in or live in Bologna. What attracted you to the more obscure grape varieties? Were you just kind of sucked into the rabbit holes of Italian wine, or was it just one wine which inspired you? Or?
1: It was kind of just the culmination of one experience after another. I remember one particular instance. Which would, if you're into travel and adventure and food and wine, was a great experience. But my husband and I were going on a bike trip in Alto Adige. So that's in, in northern um, Italy near the Austrian border. And as we were going along this bike trail, saw a sign for a winery. So we knocked on the door and fortunately the owner was able to receive us and do a tasting. And one of the wines that she served was a white wine made from a white grape that has is only one hectare right there where the winery is. And it's just so exciting, you know, because if you also like wine, then the tasting experience as well, which is really interesting, you don't know what to expect. So yeah, I just get a real kick out of that. Those are in particular, the types of experiences. I really try to find and and, um, and procure for, you know, for our clients and followers.
0: And in tasting these four wines, I noticed that they're all um, quite high acid, which is very Italian in style, but also very food friendly as well. And you live in Bologna, so imagine wine and food is something else which inspires you in your choices.
1: Yes, um, a foodie, I like, I like to cook myself, and I love pairing, um, and then my, my husband, he actually just closed, uh, but he, you know, for pretty much his whole life, he was running his family's three-generation bakery in Bologna. Every day I'd go to the bakery in the back, he'd be making something all the time. And whether it's pasta bread or sweets, certainly there was a lot of inspiration just from my daily life with my husband and, you know, his family and friends in Bologna.
0: Yeah, there's nothing like a bakery to awake your senses and really experience different smells and aromas i want to share a similar story to yours about my first discovery of um, obscure italian varieties and it's actually sciopatino which is the first wine we're going to talk about my sister and i were traveling from venice to trieste and we got the train and It's a long slow train which just goes along the coast you can see trieste the whole way you just never seem to get there so we arrived quite late went to the hotel and she said is there a restaurant nearby where we can eat and they said oh, there's one just down the road we'll phone ahead and you can um just get a table there. So we went there, sat down, really nice kind of local restaurant, got the food menu, and the waitress said, do you want anything to drink? And we said, well, we'd like a bottle of wine. Do you have a wine list? And she said, no. We said, well, how do we decide what we want to drink then? And she said, well, you just tell me what you want and I'll bring it to you. Well, we don't know what you have, so we just described the type of wine that we liked, which is kind of a medium-bodied red wine, not too high in alcohol, nice fruits, but not too ripe, just that kind of middle ground. She said, I have the wine for you. And she returned about two minutes later with a bottle of Schiopatino, which we'd never heard of before. I said, well, I guess we're just going to have to go with her judgment. And uh, we tasted it. And it was absolutely fantastic. And we loved it. And it went so well with the food as well. And, of course, we looked it up. And it's a local grape variety, which had been rescued from obscurity in the 70s onwards. So we really felt we were a part of the Trieste and truly seen discovering this grape variety. And that's what I love about traveling around Italy, going to these small restaurants, and you just discover the local wines, which may only be available there, or with Scopatino's getting more of an international uh, re- reputation. What we were worried about is that the wine is going to be really expensive because it was so good. And when the bill came, it was just 24 euros. And it's another <laughs> a nice surprise for that. So the wine that you sent me, the Scopatino by Vigna Petrusa, um, can you tell me about the producer first, and then we'll go into the great variety?
1: Uh, Vini Petrusa is three generations of, of women, and the um, current uh, generations are the, the uh, second and third. And the second is uh, Hilde Petrusa, and Hilde took over the winery from her mother. They're in Friuli, by the way, just north of uh, about an hour north of Trieste, along the Slovenian border. Over the winery from her mom, I want to say it was in the '70s. It was illegal to plant uh, Scibutino at the time. However, Hilde had really nice memories of Scibutino, and her dad, who had died early, would make Scibutino wine. So was, as soon as it became legal, <laughs> uh, she started to plant it, and then she was in, instrumental in founding the Scibutino Association, for which she was the first president. And what the Scubertino Association did is is among other things, they defined the appellation for, uh, in particular for Scobatino di Prepolto, the birthplace of Sciobotinos and Prepolto, which is the town where Hilde Petrusa lives and where her winery is. And so today, Vini Petrusa is out by being the only uh, woman owned winery in Friuli that makes four types of Scobatinos. And, and we import all four of them in. <laughs> so, <laughs> in not only is it an unknown grape, but we have all four of them. <laughs> Just because, if you really want to explore and get to know the grape, you should try the the unoaked version, which is I think the one that you have, correct? Or is it Sciopatino? Rinera. Oh, Rinera, Okay, so that is the uh, actually stands for um, Ribola Nera, which is the nickname for for Sciopatino. If you're familiar, Ribolla is a uh, white grape, so Ribolla Nera refers to a black ribola, but of course, you know, the real name of the grape is Scilpatino. So what you have is the unoaked version of Scilpatino, then there's an oaked version, which is Scilpatino di Propolto, then they make a Reserva, which is also oaked, but it's a very careful selection of grapes. They do a pay de cove to create the wild, wild yeast for the fermentation, and it's aged longer and then they make 100% air-dried schiopatino, which is really interesting that the name of that wine is called Perlinera, which means uh, black pearl. And it's in- interesting for a variety of reasons. But one is people might think that it's a, a sweet wine, but it actually is like an Amarone. You know, it's 100%, uh, you know, air-dried grapes. So certainly it does have higher residual sugar, but it's one of those wines that can traverse easily between, you know, savory foods and then, and then sweet
0: foods as well. So why was Hippatino illegal? That sounds a very drastic measure for what makes very good wine.
1: So that's a good question. I know that in Europe, and I've heard of some weird situations here in California as well, the government has a heavy hand over what farmers do. They, they receive uh, subsidies. In exchange for those subsidies, they have to abide by certain rules. Technically, from what I heard, you could grow the grape, but you couldn't make wine from it. And the story is that a well-known producer in the area, Chala, they kept their, their vines and they're, they're known, Ronca di Chala, let's say, is known primarily amongst, you know, wine people as being the producer that surged the Scilpettino and making it as a wine. However, Vigna Petrusa is right up there with Ronca di Chala. If you know Ian, Ian Dagada, he, you know, he writes, you know, quite often about Vigna Petrusa and most recently, um, you know, wrote about Scilpettino as being a grape, to discover and mentioning Rungudi Chala and Vina Petrusa as the best producers.
0: And so it has undergone um, a bit of a revival since the, the dark days of the 70s and before. Is it a difficult grape variety to work with in the vineyard? Is that one reason why growers didn't want to work with it too much?
1: I know it is finicky. It is a, a later um, harvest grape as well. Frankly, uh, you know, when I asked uh, Hilde, you know, back four four years ago when I started to work with her, if she was organic. And when I mean by that, I mean, you know, certified organic by the EU. And she said no. And the reason why is because Scupatino does not react well to copper. And copper is one of the the main, you know, substances used to combat powdery mildew, which is a big risk up in northern Friuli. northern Italy, because of the more humid uh, and and damp weather and colder weather.
0: You mentioned the producer makes four different styles. Is Scalpatino quite versatile in the winery in terms of winemaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that Hilde makes, you know, four types goes to show the different expressions of the grape, you know, as as a wine, the common um, thread amongst all four of, of the wines, the Scipitone wines of the Petrusa, is a um, black uh, black pepper scent and even uh, a taste, and that is uh, a result of the molecule. I'm probably pronouncing it, but this molecule is the molecule in black pepper that creates um, the black pepper taste. The way um, Scipitino and Shiraz have the highest concentration of, of that of that molecule. Just to further extend that, when uh, I was in, um, in New York um, in right before COVID hit in, begin, in the beginning of 2020, I was with that, a sommelier uh, in New York and Hilde, and um, and the sommelier was uh, liking. Schieppatino to uh, Rhone wines, like you know, really you know, high quality, yeah, reds, and uh, and that's possibly because of that link um, with uh, you know the rotondoni molecule.
0: So that peppery um, character. Any other characteristics of Sciopatino, um in the glass when you actually get to drink it? Is there anything else which really makes it uh, distinctive?
1: So I think you mentioned before it's a high high acidity um, red. And um, and it has medium amount of tannins. It it has a, a it's very fruity. Um, so the, the fruit will contrast with the black pepper uh, taste as well. In my opinion, the the best expressions is when it's fruity. It's a lot of intense fruit and the black pepper together. Um, one of our most recent uh, new clients is um, uh, and really you know, high-end um, Asian restaurant in New York called 53. And when when the sommelier uh, purchased um, a di Propolto for, for their menu, uh, I was actually with um, Hilde's daughter, Francesca, in, in New York in October. And we asked the sommelier, why, why did you choose uh, the Skiopatino? And she said because it, pa- it pairs well with Asian food because of the higher acidity and it's being lower in tannins.
0: Excellent. So I think what you're describing in Scopatino is something Italian and non-Italian, Italian and it's high acid, but maybe less Italian and it's lower tannins and that black pepper comparison to Syrah as well. So if you like Italian wine and you like Syrah, then Scopatino is a good good place to go, I think. Let's move on to um, white wine and the famoso grape variety, which um, I think is ironically named given that... <laughs> It's not very famous, and I find it even very difficult to find anything on the internet about it, other than that it's quite aromatic, and there's one comparison to Gewürztraminer, and that it had fallen out of favour because it was a bit too aromatic. And the producer is Monte Sasso from Emilia Romagna.
1: The, uh, the area is Monte Sasso, the producer is Braschi, and they're in, in Emilia Romagna, but if you, if you know any Romagnolo... <laughs> They'll say it's Romania, due to the Emilia-Romagna region, which is divided uh, in half, more or less, between the western side, which is Emilia, and the, the eastern side, which is Romania. And, and culturally, they do, food-wise, food it's a similar menu, but culturally, they're very different. They're almost opposite.
0: <laughs> producer Braski, can you tell me about the producer?
1: Br- Braski is a historical winery in Romania. Um, it was um, part of the well, the, the Brasky family um, up through I want to say about 15 years ago when these two Romagnoli guys, who really like wine, um Vincenzo Vern- Vernocchi and Davide Castagnoli, they decided to buy the winery from from the family. If you remember the the film uh, Life is Beautiful, the Italian film that won the Oscar around the year 2000, the wife. And it's wife of the actor as well. Um, her, her, she's a Braski, So that's her family. So it's, uh, it's just north of Tuscany. That's how I describe it to people. A lot of people aren't really that familiar with, let's say the, uh, Eastern side of, of Tuscany. It's very mountainous. And if you just keep going north, you'll get into, uh, Romagna and Mont- Montesasso. Again, you're going up this highway from Tuscany north you, you'll get to this Monte Sasso uh, area that is also mountainous and in fact you you know you have great views you know you can see t- Tuscany from you know from, from from there you know from the top of the mountain.
0: And tell me about Famazzo then this great variety which they work with.
1: Yeah so in this Monte Sasso area there's this fa- farmer uh, Montalti over the years he would make his own you know homemade uh, sparkling wine from uh, From these grapes that he found in, on his land, um, you know, he wasn't um, he, he wasn't like a, a winery, really. he was just a you know normal farmer, let's just say. but uh, in any case, in 2001 he he took the grapes to the University of Bologna to find out what they were, and he uh, they found out that he discovered this grape famoso that they thought was extinct.
0: So it's just in his back garden, basically.
1: Yeah, and and Braski gets their um, their grapes from that original vineyard. So today there's about seventy, um, I'd say, uh, producers of Famoso, but um, Braski has the original fruit.
0: So did they find other plantings of the variety, or is it just cuttings from that original vineyard which have spread into other vineyards?
1: Certainly, the you know the local community of you know producers. Uh, somehow got cuttings of it and then planted it. I must say that i tasted uh, numerous uh, famosos from other producers and quite different, which makes me think that it's a site-sensitive grape.
0: Right, so this area is quite mountainous. So um, is that altitude and different aspects really changing growing conditions uh, from vineyard to vineyard?
1: It must. So they're up uh, probably 100 metres, Um you know, this Montalti uh, vineyard, while I remember tasting a um, a Famoso from uh, um, Ravenna and Ravenna is very low lying, very closer to the sea. So the Braschi Famoso is more minerally than let's say this other Famoso from Ravenna that I had that was more fruity, let's just say, it was kind of lacking minerality basically.
0: And so the one comparison I saw on the internet to Gewürztraminer, is that an accurate comparison or is it just a generalization?
1: It's interesting that someone would compare it to Gewürztraminer. I would not compare the Braski Famoso to Gewürztraminer, but uh, it's possible that given the fact that it does have these variations of of styles that, you know, there could be one out there that's more aromatic than the Braski Famoso. The Braski Famoso, I call it semi aromatic. It also changes quite a bit year by year. So you have the 2021. We just got in in November and I didn't actually import in the 2020. I just thought it was uh, actually the 2020, it had such a very different taste profile that I didn't want to confuse clients with it, but it more. Um, I wouldn't say more like a, a Gewürztraminer, but it was definitely more fruity and spicier. So I guess it's also sensitive to, you know, the seasonal, you know, changes as well.
0: Yeah. And I guess when working with small plantings, it's hard to get a consistent style from year to year. You're reliant on what that vineyard is doing in that that vintage. Let's move on to the next great variety, which is one of the most acidic wines I've tried in quite a while, which is the Durello, which is a sparkling wine looked this up in ian dagat's book native wine grapes of italy and he described it as so acidic that it's usually made into sweet or sparkling wine to try and uh, balance that acidity which i definitely got in this sparkling wine which is from sandro di bruno and uh, no dosage and i think it'd been aged for 36 months as well so there's a nice lees quality to it which kind of softened the acidity a little bit as well and I really liked it. It was quite distinctive and different and definitely a really good uh, food wine as well because of that acidity. Another thing you're going to have to explain to me is the DOC It's spelt slightly differently. So Durello is the great variety, but the DOC is a Lazzini Durella. So there's a lot to uh, talk about with this grape variety and where it comes from. So where do you want to start?
1: Well, you can start with the place where it's from. And it's Sandro de Bruno's uh, uh, vineyards are in the in the Lessini Regional Park, so that's why the DOC has Lessini in its name. It's a point of reference for the geographical area where the wines come from. Italians love to confuse us, it seems, but the grape is Durella, but the wine is Durello.
0: No, I got it the wrong way around.
1: Yeah, so um, the first time I, I ever tried Durello was a classic method sparkling wine. It happened to be Sandro di Bruno's as well. And I have a soft spot for classic method wines that are made from not your ordinary champagne style grapes. And I think that Dorello is a great example of of a grape that is well, well adapted for champagne style wine because of its, you know, of its high acidity. It also has a thick skin, which I think could uh, at some point in the future, you probably make a good orange wine from as well. If you're able to somehow tame the acidity, you know, maybe do like a harvest or something. And Sandro de Bruno's vineyards are, um, Sandro calls it, it's a mountain vineyard. Forget the altitude, it could be up to like 500 meters. And it is a volcanic soil as well. The volcanic soil also is how Sandro de Bruno's stands out. As well, because you have um, more complexity and salinity on the palate
0: so because of that acidity you've got varied options in wine making so you've mentioned sparkling you mentioned potential for um, orange wine if someone wants to go down that route. what about sweet wine as well
1: it's interesting I never had durello as a sweet wine. I had my first still uh, white wine it was a, a dry white wine style when i when I was in Venice I was uh Bacaro hopping. So, <laughs> bacaro is the bars in, in Venice that are like the type of bars where you can get like a spritz or a glass of wine and, and um, a bite to eat. And so, they had a Durello white, uh, this bacaro that, uh
0: that I, I enjoyed. And was that really high acid or was it just very refreshing and light? And what did it taste like?
1: It was like light and refreshing. Yeah, I imagine that the sweet ones, the sweet giurellos, just stay like really local. To Certainly, they don't really leave Veneto.
0: Yeah, and just to clarify, we are in Veneto. So whereabouts in in Veneto?
1: So it's actually right on the border, if you will, of the Valpolicella wine wine region. So it would be just northeast of Verona.
0: Um, So I really love, as you said, the traditional method wines made in Italy, which you don't really see outside of the country that often. Obviously, the most famous is French Franciacorta, which is made from the champagne grapes. But finding ones which are made from local grapes is much more exciting and distinctive. I was actually in Australia recently and tasted a sparkling Fiano from McLaren Vale, which was absolutely delicious. And the reason they had planted Fiano in the first place is because they're inspired by the sparkling Fiano they tried in Campania, which, again, is not found outside of the region that much. But when you go there and you taste these wines, it's really um, interesting and enlightening, I think, which brings us on to the final wine which is made from Boscara, which is also sparkling. I actually have a glass, which I've poured this morning uh, to warm me up in this cold California weather. Um, so I haven't tried this one yet, so I'm going to try it now. And this is from Veneto as well, isn't it, from Treviso?
1: Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So the producer is actually in the Val- Valpolicella area. So to give you a point of reference, it's basically you know in the same region, wine region as Prosecco.
0: But a very different style of wine from Prosecco. So let's talk about Boscara at first, the grape variety. What can you tell me about the grape?
1: Well, first is the story. (laughs) So I uh, was at a friend's house uh, at Christmas
0: uh, about
1: five years ago. And so someone brought this wine. It was a clear bottle, pet nat style, so unfiltered uh, sparkling. And I was intrigued. You know, I enjoyed it and uh, went well with the meal. So I researched uh, the, you know, the label was called Varscara. I didn't know maybe if that was the producer or the, name of the wine or whatever. I had to Google a bit, but I wound up finding or getting the phone number of the producer. And I talked to him and I found out that it's a grape or very, you know, rare grape. And at the time he wasn't even interested in exporting And a number of small producers, it's like that, like they have enough demand even just from the local, you know, people around that will, you know, come to the winery and, you know, and buy wine. And plus it's small production as well. So it runs out. (laughs) Anyway, fast forward to 2021, I I reached out again to the producer and and this time around Eros is his name, which is also kind of a cool name, (laughs) Eros Zanon he was interested in exporting his wines to the U.S.
0: And how is this wine made? Um, it's not that uh, bubbly, though there are bubbles in it. So it's not like a, a fully sparkling wine. And it's also with a crown cap as well. So what? how is this wine made?
1: Yeah, so it's made with spontaneous fermentation. So it's, you know, all native yeast made, uh, you could say, in the ancestral method. What differs, though, is that... Um, eros decides to age the swine oh and then there is some skin contact i think uh three days of skin contact as well and so he also makes a petnat slash ancestral method style glera which is basically a, a prosecco and that he emphasizes that you know the prosecco is meant to drink young where the Boscara is meant to age. And so it's, you know, aged on its leaves, of course, because it's not disgorged, and you know, in the bottle for, you know, for at least three years. We imported it into the U.S. in May last year. And as far as I know, this is the first time the actual grape was in, in America. So it is a savory wine. So that I think people need to be prepared for that because most of the time, People are used to and kind of usually prefer a more fruity wine. However, the savory aspect is also a fascination. It's very complex. You, you, you can s- smell like nuts. It has like an, a nutty smell to it. And, um, you know, just a, a lot of flavors as well on, on the palate. Uh, a lot of, you know, herbs. And when I did a uh, wine and food tasting with some friends here in Ventura, last year and so we had like you know I think three or four courses and we were tasting the Boscara along with other wines and the Boscara paired with every dish um, which you know we have several wines in our portfolio uh, so of course you know my other producers that are similar you just pair with like almost anything so you definitely have to save it for your meal later on.
0: And <laughs> um, once you mentioned the skin contact that I I can see that it's that kind of bitter phenolics to the wine, which really uh, balances the the lees as well. So there's a nice kind of, and you mentioned the nuttiness as well, it's like bitter almonds as well. And so you've got that high acidity, but it's a real nice texture and structure to the wine. So it's not just about acidity. And those lees are pretty well integrated because you don't notice them too much. Um, so it's a really nice wine to finish on. And, and you're right, this will go very well with a lot of food this evening. So a really nice range of wines and it's it's a lot of fun to explore These more obscure grape varieties, but also the regions which they come from as well. So you have that real local identity, which I think is what excites people about Italy. That it's all these different regions and villages that have their own food and own uh, wine. And just getting it out there into the States and other countries is great. So it's not just um, enjoyed by the locals, but enjoyed by the rest of us as well.
1: One thing that I enjoy about the work that I do is seeing how people have fun with our our wines, and in particular, when they the the pairing that they'll do, because in, in Italy in Italy they eat let's say Italian food, which of course you know can mean a lot of different type types of dishes, but it doesn't mean Asian you know Asian dishes, for example. So so I really enjoy when when people try and experiment to pair our wines with other dishes, because that it just pushes the envelope and makes people enjoy you know these. Like you said, the high acid wines, which are certainly food
0: friendly. Definitely lots of wines and grape varieties to choose from. Hopefully my listeners will go out and try and explore all these different Italian grape varieties. It's not just Sangiovese. There's lots of other wines to try. We you
1: know, we, we sell to as I mentioned at the beginning of the show to distributors around the country. There are wine stores and restaurants in California and some in New York and New Jersey and in Maine that have our wines as well. Hopefully you'll see more and more of them going forward around in your local restaurants and stores. However, we also sell them online. Our website is com. so that's, you know, we, we want to allow people to easily purchase the wines, you know, whether, you know, if it's not from their local go-to place, then certainly they could buy online as well.
0: I definitely recommend um, checking out these wines and checking out the websites in general. Hopefully see you soon and in person to try the wines together.
1: Thanks, Matthew.
0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast helping wine students and wine enthusiasts alike to learn about all the wines of the world. I'm Matthew Gorn, and I'm a WCT-certified educator, and in this podcast, I explore different wine regions and different grape varieties, and also interview producers from all around the world to explore the vast world of wine.